my guest in this episode is uh, Tom Ostrand. Thank you for coming uh, on the show. I really appreciate it. Okay, it's going to be an interesting experience. Thanks for inviting me. I hope so. Thanks for inviting me. (laughs) So what's your dinner party monologue when someone says, uh, what do you do? Well, at dinner parties, I try not to talk about work. That's that's the most important thing. Okay, yeah. But uh, what what I do uh, related to work is, well, software, software testing, software reliability issues. Um, most recent project I'm involved with, actually it's from a, for a long time now, has been software fault prediction, trying to analyze large systems and see where the uh, faults have been mm. and see if we can predict where the faults are going to be in the future, in mm. future versions. That's the main project. That's the main. Yeah. yeah. So that's, a, that's what you say in the dinner well, party. You, no, you don't want to don't, do that. I don't you. try to yeah. say that in dinner party. <laughs> um, so, I, I don't know. Could you, could you tell, tell us where you, where you grew up? Where, what's your background like? Uh, where the, uh, how did you get uh, into software engineering and computer science? And how did you actually get to the point where I said, oh, I want to do research? What made you do? Oh, wow, that's, this is a, that's a very broad question. Yes. Right? I started out in college as a mathematics major. Wow. Because that's what interested me in high school, and I thought I'd interested in, in college, so I uh, took a lot of math courses, and I started taking... Well, my freshman year in college, I took a computer course, a programming course, which was really brand new at that time. This is a really long time ago. You know, television barely existed then. Uh, uh, but it was that, and that was great, and I really loved that, uh, doing that. And then I took some computer courses uh, most years in college. Uh, towards, the end of, towards the end of the college time, I actually took a couple of things about uh, computer organization, um, finite state machine theory, oh. which was, yeah, that was also new stuff at that mm-hmm. time. And I found myself taking fewer math courses and more of these computer-related things, and then the decision came about where to apply for graduate school and what the topic would be in graduate school, and I said, okay, computer science was just beginning to be Mm. something you could get a graduate degree in. In Mm. fact, at the time that I graduated from college, there were only three uh, graduate programs in computer science in the United States. Okay. Only three universities that offered that. So I applied all three of them. I believe I was accepted in all three. I don't even remember anymore, for mm. sure. But I ended up going to the University of Pennsylvania okay. as, uh, for graduate school. And I spent my time there. I finished a PhD. I finished a master's degree first. Mm. And then a PhD in computer science. The master's degree was actually a very, well, it was a, uh, a big programming project that was inspired by a faculty member there who had some crazy ideas about some kind of extendable software system. Okay. And he had been looking for somebody to actually implement those ideas. And somehow, I, so I thought this was interesting, seemed, seemed like a good idea. So, in fact, I built a system that implemented his ideas um, Mm. And in some sense, could almost have been seen as a very early forerunner of object-oriented programming. He had this idea of of defining. He didn't call them objects, but he called them actually classes. Was the word he used? 
Classics. Okay. And he had this idea that you would define, somehow you would, well, define a class of, uh, of things, let's mm -hmm. say, that would somehow share some properties. And once you define the behavior <clears throat> of, the, of a typical member of that class, mm. you could then define specific instances of it. Sounds very much like object orientation, yeah, right? For sure. And this was in uh, mid uh, mid nineteen sixties. Wow. So okay. he really was ahead of his time. But yeah. On the other hand, he didn't. He it never went anywhere from his perspective, mm. and he never really connected with the people who were actually beginning this uh, mm. revolution. Let's say. Yeah. Exactly. In, in ideas about. About programming, it was a revolution. Schools didn't have computers. No, you know, and colleges barely. Colleges had big mainframes. Okay? Yeah, I went to I went to uh, uh, my undergraduate time was at MIT. They had uh, a couple of big IBM computers, mm. uh, 7040, 7090, big mainframe computers. This is even pre before the three sixties, before okay. the system three sixties yeah. came around. So that's what you programmed in. You programmed in uh, well, okay, you programmed in Fortran. Mm. And in uh, the assembly language for those for mm. those mainframes. Oh yeah, okay. and that was fun. It was fun to do, right? Because you felt a kind of power that you never had before. Yeah, you know, and doing something that was completely different from mm. prior experience. Yeah, as a graduate student, I said, as I said, the master's project was yep. building this system, mm. this implemented system, which actually turned out to be, after I built it and got it working. To some level, actually, this professor used that system in his classes the next couple of years, mm. actually, as a vehicle for the students to try out his ideas of, uh, of classes and objects in the classes, mm. which was interesting, too. Uh, but then I got more interested in theory of, of uh, computer science. Okay. Um, so there was a uh, professor, another, a different one, who had done work in, um, uh, well, in automata theory and regular expressions, mm. which was just a, a th really a theoretical topic at that time. And I decided that I wanted to do something for, for a PhD, for a dissertation. The project I would work on would be theoretical computer science. Mm. So I stopped the implementation stuff. And um, actually, yeah, I should, I, let me backtrack a moment, because actually in college still, for an undergraduate project, mm. I also did a programming project, a programming system. I connected with a guy who was, <clears throat> who was associated with a, um, a hospital in the Boston area. Okay. And he, was, he had some connections with people who were uh, doing cancer research. And one of the things that they needed, that they wanted to have done then, was basically a database of their cancer patients. So this was a, it's a, called a tumor registry. Mm, okay. And so in about nineteen well, about nineteen sixty five, so I wrote a, I actually wrote a system, a simple database system, mm. to keep track of the uh, cancer patients and the tumor information. Well, That's the first programming project, first substantial programming project I actually did. Mm. So they used that, and then I came to graduate school. I did this other system <clears throat> for these um, class objects, mm. and then I said, "Okay, that's enough programming. That's enough. That was yeah. fun. Let me do something <laughs> different." So, uh, theoretical computer science. Mm. So I 
looked up, hooked up with this uh, professor whose name is Hisao Yamada, who has actually, he passed away maybe five, five or six years back, maybe more than that by now. Mm. Um, but he was a, uh, a, 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 very, a very smart guy, and he had mm. done work in various different areas. But one of the things that he got very interested in at the time was cellular automata, which basically is um, very large arrays, multidimensional arrays of identical, uh, identical automata that would be connected in some ways. Hmm. And there were some problems there, uh, the main problem being how you could get such an array to reproduce itself, or how you could get configurations of such an array hmm. to reproduce themselves. So that's what I worked on, and uh, did a dissertation, wrote a dissertation hmm. with some ideas about that, but really from a very theoretical perspective. Theoretical perspective. Never yeah. implemented anything like that. I mean, some of those things have been implemented, I think, hmm. as you know, as, as simulations at that yeah. time. And since then, I think cellular arrays have become important, actually, in yeah. implementations, in hardware exactly. implementations. I've not had anything to do with that, though. <laughs> you know, I, I, during the time of graduate school, I, I started working first, <clears throat> first just at summer, in summer vacation breaks, mm. and then later, actually, uh, maybe half and half at school and mm. at the companies, mainly doing programming things. Mm. And actually, I did some testing of some some kinds of software systems. Uh, I mean, I just that was just the job that was assigned. Mm. You know, that was the kind of thing that they needed done. So that's what I was what I was doing. Mm. I had some programming experience, and and actually, the uh, science of programming had not really changed tremendously in the time I had been in school. Uh, I mean, there was still a lot of this assembly language programming mm. that was going on. And the higher level languages were becoming a little bit more interesting, I think. Hmm. Sometime around there, uh, PL1, the big IBM hmm. uh, attempt to write a super programming language, to, to create a super programming language was happening then. It was just an attempt. Yeah. Well, it, 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 was in, it was used by IBM for, for some time. Yeah. Uh, I didn't do any coding in, in PL1. Hmm. Um, and I'm not sure what the status of PL1 is these days. <laughs> I'm not sure either. <laughs> I don't know if there's any code. I, there's probably yeah. some code out there written in it. But, it could uh, be. I don't know if anybody's using it mm. for any new code. Um, the first job I had after I finished a PhD was actually as, a, uh, as an assistant professor at Rutgers University yeah. in New Jersey. And I was there for uh, seven years, I think. Uh, well, teaching a whole gamut of courses some programming classes, some theory of computer science courses, automata theory classes, mm. um, data structures, things. I mean, the kind, the standard kinds of stuff that you would see in a, in a reasonable computer science program, mm. educational computer science program in college. And when I left Rutgers, I, then I started working in uh, various companies. Mm. And I really got into software testing as an area to work in probably around... Oh, I don't know, maybe around 1980, 81, 82, mm. roughly that time period. And in 1983, I started a job at Siemens Research in New Jersey. Now, Siemens is a very big electronics company, lots of different products, among them computers. They have a main research facility. It's a German company, of course, and their main research facility is in Munich, in Germany. Yeah. 
there, they are several thousand people there, I think, doing all kinds of things. Uh, they had, at the time, and they still do, to my understanding, a small research lab in New Jersey with about 120, 130 people. And I joined that lab in 1983 and uh, basically tried to do things that would be useful for their research program that involved software engineering in general and testing in particular. Mm. So that's how you, you got into software yeah. testing. Yeah. And it was, the, the, I guess you, it, uh, you, you did research in software testing from, from 1980s until yeah. now. Until now. Until now. Yeah. yeah. And um, a, lot of that, a lot of that has been done together with my partner, who is Elaine Weaver. She was teaching mm -hmm. computer science in New York University. Mm -hmm. At that time, at the same time, she actually had been there for had been at NYU longer than I had been at Siemens. Mm. But we started working together on testing, mm. and that proved to be a fruitful, a fruitful collaboration. So we've done a lot of stuff together, mm. and in fact, the latest project that we worked on together, which we spent a lot of time on, uh, <clears throat> which started at AT and T Labs, mm. which is where I was, where I went after I left Siemens. And we worked on fault prediction uh, issues. Can can you tell me, like in 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 in, in couple of sentences, why do you think uh, fault, software fault prediction is important to 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 industry? I know it may may be a bit evident, but yeah. Well, faults are among the most important things you have to deal with when yeah. you write software, when you manage large software systems. Hmm. And any help that you can give the poor people who have to find those faults and correct them <laughs> is going to be helpful, yeah. I think. So that's what we tried to do. We tried to build uh, methods and systems that would uh, provide insight <clears throat> to, to software testers mm. and software developers mm. where the faults are, uh, where you could expect to find the most faults, mm. Hopefully that information would make it easier to find the actual faults, mm. would, make it, uh, would make their time more productive, mm. and would enable them to make corrections more mm. effectively. Which empirical software engineering um, um, results or breakthroughs are things that industry can use directly? I, maybe maybe one of the most important things is I, I wouldn't say that they necessarily have to do with testing. I would think yeah. one of the most important things has been that the research community has been trying to emphasize for a long time is is more organized design concepts mm. and more organized way of <clears throat> of keeping track of design principles, mm. keeping track of required of the of the association from requirements mm. to design to implementation, mm. uh, making that more systematic. I think a lot of early software systems mm. were built in more or less haphazard ways, mm. and software engineers don't really have there. There's really not a uh, well, there are really there there are many there are many different approaches for building software. 
I don't know that there are any universally agreed on principles of how to design, of how to go from requirements to design to implementation. Mm. Um, you could almost say that uh, any, every different, every company or every producer of software has their own way of doing it. Mm. Um, <clears throat> there's probably no, well, there is definitely no agreement on what are the right approaches. Mm. You know, uh, the field has gone from, you know, the so-called so original the waterfall model, mm. um, the V model, um, somewhere along the way came Agile for building yeah. systems. So, and then the, that seems to be the direction that uh, hmm. is gaining ground yeah. you know, recently. Somewhere I saw some kind of a survey that said that uh, uh, I think over half of people who are doing software testing are now hmm. testing Agile built systems as opposed to these oh. legacy systems that may have been built with waterfall structure. Mm. So I think Agile is definitely increasing, and there are various versions of Agile, mm. most of which I don't know much about. Mm. I, okay, empirical studies, experimental work should be very important. One problem is that there are, there are many problems, but <laughs> one big problem is that there are so many different approaches to building software different approaches to, to testing software that there's very little continuity in from one re, from one experimental result to another mm. so experimental results can be useful if they build on previous results okay somebody runs an experiment and sh and finds some result and then somebody else tries to replicate that experiment and can they come up with the same result uh, the more replications you have of a given result, the stronger that result becomes, mm. right? The more likely it is that that result really is a true result that represents what reality really is. Mm. Um, but because there are so many different versions of software, so many different approaches to building, um, different kinds of systems, there's very little replication. Mm. And that's a big problem. Um, a very big problem, I think. So, you know, you may build, you may do a, a, an experimental study or an, uh, on, you, on the particular kind of system that you are involved with, mm. and you may get great results, and it shows that if you follow a certain procedure, you will get higher quality software than if you didn't follow that procedure. Mm. Okay, that should be useful to people, but it's only really useful to people who follow the procedure you used. Yeah. And if somebody else is in a different company, and that company's management Mm. Doesn't know about the procedure that your that your experiment used. Mm. Doesn't help any, right? Yeah, uh, you can try to convince your management that you should be using that because this other place had great results. Mm. But uh, that may be a hard sell. Mm. Um, so that's one kind of that's one issue, one problem. Another problem is that a lot of experimental studies that are done and that are published in the research today are still not being done with real systems. That people really, uh, you know, with real production systems. Mm. A lot of the experimental computer science research is done on so-called toy systems, or, or uh, you know, s sample school systems. So they're done with small amounts of code, and they are perhaps useful as proof of concept to show mm. that something could be done with code. But in terms of actual of producing results that actually show uh, 
that a technique is effective mm. on real software, they probably have they actually have very little value. Mm. That's another big problem. Yeah, it is. Um, but let, let let let's change a bit. So what 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 advice would you give to someone looking to start a career in software engineering and software testing? I would I would start out by asking you what kind of career do they want? Do they want to be <clears throat> somebody working in a production environment? Mm. Do they want to be uh, somebody working in a research environment? <clears throat> Either a research environment in a university or a research environment in an in in industry? Because mm. I think that's important. They're not. Those are not the same environments, hmm. and you probably want to think a little bit differently, yeah. depending on which one you want to be in. Hmm. In a research environment, or if you were a researcher, hmm. it may be difficult to keep an eye on what's happening in the production world, hmm. and I think that's very important, hmm. because I think a lot of researchers are not particularly aware of what's happening, of what of what uh, of what more advanced production environments are doing mm. because I think a lot of the advances are coming not from the uh, research world but are coming from people who are involved with real systems mm. and so okay so I would say if you suppose you are starting a career if you expect your career to be a research oriented career maybe either academic or industry research I would think the most important thing, or one, or yeah, maybe the most important thing, would be to start out with really to get a solid foundation in real production issues, real production methods, mm. and you know you can finish school with a degree, and you learned a lot in your in the classes you took, and perhaps with some um, what do you call it uh, co-op arrangements with. With companies, you know, you spend maybe mm. three months a year at a company and you learn how they do things. That's great. Mm. But I would, what I would recommend is that after you finish your, your academic work, that you begin your career not immediately as a researcher, but that you go into the real world and get a real job in, uh, in software production, software development. Spend a couple of years doing that and mm. get familiar with the techniques that are used, um, with the headaches that arise when you have a product that you have to distribute to customers, and the customers can complain about all kinds of things. They can complain about simply about uh, bugs in the system. The system mm. doesn't work the way it's supposed to. That's one thing. They can complain about the fact that even if the system works, it doesn't do exactly what they want doesn't do it exactly the way they would like it, and why did you do it this way mm. and not that way. Uh, I think it's important to have uh, that kind of background, that kind mm. of understanding. Um, and get familiar with uh, existing tools mm. for doing, well, existing program development environments, uh, implementation environments, testing environments. Mm. Uh, real problems in testing. So te I mean, te there are many problems in testing, right? There's oh, simply yeah. defining the tests. There's how do you run the tests? Do you have enough time to run the tests? Are the tests covering everything that you need? Are the tests actually testing mm. what the software, <clears throat> what the software is supposed to be doing? Mm. Uh, how do you 
How do you pass test results back to the developers mm. so they can fix problems? So on and on and on, right? You, can just you should get really familiar with those kinds of things and not from an academic perspective, looking mm. from the outside looking in, but you should be yourself on the inside mm. experiencing those problems and the, and the, uh, the responses to them. Mm. So what, what people influenced you during your career? In research, or also in 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 in, in um... what specific people? Yeah. You mean? Well, yeah. Okay. I mean, certainly one was my my PhD advisor, Professor Yamada, who mm. was working with Cellular Automata. I was very impressed with him. He's a smart guy, and he put me for you know he put me onto this area to work in for how long did I spend on that? At least five, six years. Mm. I mean, there was the, the work on the dissertation work, and then after I finished, that's the research I did for the, I don't know, first maybe three, four years or so mm. afterwards, trying to get some good results. I got a few results, but actually never, I didn't actually ever produce something that was, I think, as, uh, as noteworthy as his initial work mm. had been. And actually, I gradually came to realize this wasn't really... Going any place that I was that I really wanted to stay with, that, mm. uh, I should really get into. So I just felt like I should be doing something that, at that time, at least, seemed mm. more practical, more practically oriented. And I got more interested in 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 system stuff like that. Mm. One of the summer jobs that I had while I was in graduate school, there was a uh, the supervisor. Uh, I mean, who was not particularly any well-known person, but he was a smart guy. And he just was very well versed in um, in software development. Uh, he was very good at the soft, the kind of software that was being developed at that time. Mm. And yeah, he was an impressive guy. So I just thought, okay, that's somebody I would like to accomplish as, or um, you know, be as knowledgeable as mm. he was in in uh, software construction and mm. testing. So, can you recommend three books that had the biggest impact on your life? Oh, wow. That someone could... <laughs> that had the biggest impact on my life? Yeah. I can say one book that had a big impact, but that has nothing whatsoever to do with what... with the entire business of software testing. Yeah, software that, I think that's quite good. There's a... So, when I was a junior or senior in college, I took a class called... Uh, something like theory of computation. That's probably not the exact title. Okay. From Hartley Rogers, who was professor at MIT at that time. Okay. And this was an introduction. This was a whole new world for me at that time. Hmm. Uh, and it was really theory of computation. So it was uh, uh, automata, uh, uh, Turing machines, that type of theory of computation. Hmm. And at the time I took the class, he had, you know, this was in the days when professors wrote at least part of their lectures on a blackboard with chalk. And I took lots of notes in that class. And I, prob I might even still have a notebook from that class with the notes I took. And about three or four years after I took that course, when I was no longer, no longer at college, but I was in graduate school, uh, Hartley Rogers published his book called, I think, Theory of Effective Computability, or maybe Theory of Computation and Effective Computability. Mm. And I was really, I was uh, very, uh, you know, excited to see that book. 
I went out and bought it right away. <laughs> and lo and behold, half of that book I had in my notes already. So he oh. had he had basically written this book on the blackboard <laughs> wow. when I took the class. So that was also that was quite impressive. And I liked I enjoyed mm. that book. That's a, it's a, it's a good book. I don't know if it's used much now. I and mean, this is a long time ago mm. that that book was published. But uh, that was a very impressive uh, uh, book for me. Thank you okay. so much for, for, for being here. Okay. Thanks. You're very welcome. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> uh, I hope it's something you're interesting. Hope it's yeah, something it useful. is interesting. Yeah.